0: If you will, uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. You know, one of my favorite uh, times of year is fall. Uh, we were going around our home group a couple of weeks ago and saying, which season of the four seasons is your favorite? And, uh, and I said, fall is mine for a couple of reasons. Finally, you get a little cooler weather, usually. Um, hunting season starts, but I think it's actually built into my DNA as a farm kid. Uh, fall meant harvest, and harvest was kind of that whole culmination. All year long, you worked, you planted all the stuff out in the fields, you had to cultivate it, you had to get the weeds out, and finally, you reached the end destination. Where you harvest and bring it all in. And so it was always an exciting part of the year. Now here's a picture of corn harvest. Uh actually last Saturday my one of my brothers uh texted me and said, Hey, just so you know, we just finished our corn harvest for the year. It was one of the best they ever had. You know, so when things are like that it's good, everybody's excited, um, and and everybody's uh celebrating something to celebrate. Well, here's another picture. Uh, I don't know if you can see this one as clearly. This is actually on the farm I grew up at. So one of my brothers climbed up the grain silo and took a picture of of the combine and grain cart going through the field. So what happens is corn harvest ends and immediately they start into soybean harvest, which is what that picture is. And so um, I think one of the reasons... There's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I loved harvest so much and still kind of do is that it's that time of year when you know clearly this is the one thing we absolutely have to do right now. The crop is ready to harvest. We have to gather it in, get it in the bin before the weather destroys it so that we can pay our bills, we can feed our animals, uh, whatever the case may be. And I think everyone joined together in that effort the whole family uh from young to old uh inside and outside everyone knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing in order to gather in that harvest and the number one priority was to get that grain gathered in into the bin you know uh in our text today Matthew chapter 9 we're going to start in 30 verse 35 Jesus tells us that we are in the middle of harvest season we are in the middle of harvest but not a harvest of corn or soybeans or strawberries or tomatoes. Uh, it's a harvest of souls. And it's just like I said in my experience growing up, the number one priority is to gather in that harvest. And I think that's the message that he gives us today. So let's look at what he says and what he does in this text. And I think that he gives us a path forward as we work with him to gather in the harvest. So uh, look in your Bibles with me at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35-38. through 38. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few." Pray, therefore, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is Matthew nine thirty-five through 38. This is the word of the Lord. So This morning, I believe that God wants to speak to us through these words and, and to reveal some things to us. And uh, in this section of Matthew, we see over and over and over again, it says, and Jesus healed him or Jesus healed her. He healed all of them. And so where does this fall in the book of Matthew? Really, uh, chapters 8 and 9 are all about healing. You see, we had the birth of Christ, we had John the Baptist and the temptation of Christ, we had the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, and then we get to these two chapters where we've been camping out for the last number of weeks, and it's all about healing. So there's really three sets of healing. There were three miracles, then Jesus gave a little speech about discipleship, three more miracles, and another speech about discipleship, and then three more miracles, which we looked at last week, and then today we hit these verses, which kind of wrap up these whole three chapters and serve as a transition into what comes next. It's a summary of what happened and then a transition into the next section. And I think today the first thing we want to look at in that very first verse is to see what Jesus did. Okay, if you have an outline in your bulletin or if you're watching online, you can pull this up online. Um, But the first point in our message today is to see what Jesus did. And really, these two chapters have been pointing us again and again. Look at what Jesus is doing. Remember one week there was one of those texts that had the word look or see or observe and just look at what Jesus is doing. Don't miss it. Sometimes these things, you've heard these stories, they go right over your head. We've spent time over these last weeks and today just looking at what Jesus is doing. So see what he did. Verse 35, Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. You know, it's almost word for word what it says back in chapter 4. I'm going to put this on the screen even though it's in small print. It says this. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It's almost word for word. So it sums up what Jesus is here to do. Look at verse uh, 24. It says, So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. That's what he did. He healed them. You know, it's amazing to me how uh, this verse that we're looking at today just kind of really echoes that same passage. And I think uh, what Matthew is saying here twice now in the book, and he actually says it again a little later uh, when when John's disciples come and ask him about this, Matthew wants us to see what Jesus did. And he paints that picture really vividly. Uh, and he paints it with words. And so really, did you notice in that verse 35, there were three verbs in there, okay? It says Jesus was teaching, he was proclaiming, and he was healing. So just briefly, each of those, teaching, teaching, we saw a really big example of that in Matthew five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus laying out: here's what it looks like to follow me. Here's what it looks like uh, to be a disciple of Jesus. And so he teaches the people how to live the way God wants them to live. Okay. Uh, the second thing it says is he's proclaiming. What is he proclaiming? Verse thirty five: the gospel of the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now. You could just look at that phrase and be like that's that's church language it's, you know he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom but don't miss the significance of this okay proclaiming preaching the gospel of the kingdom basically mean, means he's making an announcement he's announcing something that is not just for your pleasure or just because you might be entertained by it the announcement he is making actually affects every human being who's ever lived Including you and including me. He's announcing that a kingdom has arrived with his coming. And the king is now here. And he goes into a little more later in Matthew what exactly the king does. But don't miss this. That's one of the main things he's doing in his ministry. He's announcing that everything is different. He's proclaiming this good news of the kingdom. But again, that word gospel means more than just good news that you like to hear. It's actually an authoritative pronouncement that your life and my life can be different because of this king who's here. And that is good news. And then the third thing we see that he's doing is healing. So he's He's teaching, he's proclaiming, and he's healing. We've looked a lot at these healings, um, and it's amazing. And if you look back at chapter 9, verse 33... After Jesus heals this man who was mute, the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Never was anything like this seen in Israel. So, in other words, they're looking at what Jesus is doing. They're seeing what he did and what he has done, and it's amazing to them. Absolutely amazing to them. And what Jesus is doing here, I think, is not just showing us what he can do. He's showing us who he is. And that's the point of all these healing stories. Is he's saying, notice who I am. And we want to see what he is, uh, what he did, so that we can understand who he is. You know, he's the king. He has authority to cast out evil spirits. He's the healer. He's able to heal broken bodies, paralyzed bodies. He's able to heal broken relationships. All that to say, he is God. Remember, I think that's what we see in these stories. And we see that strongly in one of those stories where he heals the paralytic. And before he heals his paralysis, he says, young man, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. And so as we see what Jesus did, we come to a realization of who he is. He's the king. He's the healer. He's our God. And I think that helps us with the second thing in this passage. The second verse really tells us that Jesus wants us to understand why he did these things. Why did he go through all these miracles? We need to understand why he did it. Verse 36, there's really two words in this verse that you want to notice. Two key words, uh, and they are in red on the screen. It says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed And helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I think those two key words help us understand why Jesus did what he did. Okay, Why did he come and do all those miracles? Why did he heal all those people? Why did he teach all those things? Why is he announcing that the kingdom is here? Well, it's because he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. You see, Jesus wants us to understand why he did it. When it says he saw the crowds, you'll notice it says he saw that there was a problem. And I think that's the first step for us as well as we think about gathering in this harvest. See the problem that's out there. And so when Jesus sees the crowds, it says he sees that they are harassed and helpless. And therefore, he has compassion on them. So he sees the problem, he has compassion on them, and then we'll see he comes as a shepherd to heal this problem. But here's a question. It says they were harassed and helpless. And so what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean that they were harassed and helpless? That's the problem that Jesus sees when he looks at the people around him. Harassed and helpless literally means that they were torn, they were thrown down, they were being abused by whoever is harassing them. And so, of course, you could say, well, they're they're harassed and helpless because of their sickness. They're harassed and helpless because they're under the Roman occupation, these foreign um, invaders who are taking all their money and all their possessions and their property. But it's actually interesting. I think Jesus says what catches his attention more than anything is that they are harassed and helpless. They're being harassed by the people you would least expect them to harass them and that would be the religious leaders in fact look back at Matthew 9 verse 34 it's on the screen uh, it says this uh, after Jesus cast out those demons last week it says but the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the prince of demons in other words he's not on our team And it's really a fascinating thing in Matthew. You see the people who you would expect to welcome Jesus and accept him, the religious people, end up being the ones who become more and more hostile to him and become his enemies, end up being the ones who push to have him killed in the end. He healed them. We need to understand why he did this and so when it talks about jesus seeing the people as harassed and helpless particularly by their own religious leaders what are we talking about here uh, flip in your bibles uh, keep your finger in matthew but flip over to ezekiel in the old testament this idea of god's people or people being like uh like sheep without a shepherd is not original uh here to matthew so ezekiel chapter 34 if you can find that that's a couple of books past Isaiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 34, uh, Ezekiel is a prophet who came with a message and he said to, to God's people, he said, uh, he's actually talking to the religious leaders, okay, in Ezekiel 34, and he says this, the weak you have not strengthened, this is uh, Ezekiel 34 verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Just compare that for a second with how Jesus comes and what does he do? It's kind of the exact opposite, isn't it? Verse 5, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became like food for all the wild beasts. Skip a little later in the chapter. Verse 15, this is God saying, I'm going to fix the problem. Verse 15, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God says, all these human shepherds who keep coming, they let you down. They harass you. They throw you to the ground. So there's only one way to fix this. I myself will have to come and be your shepherd. Look at verses 23 and 24 of Ezekiel 30, uh, 34. It says this, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, and I have spoken. It's amazing to me when you think flip back over to Matthew chapter 9 and think about Jesus saying those words. When he looked around and he saw the crowds, he saw they were harassed and helpless by political leaders, by religious leaders, by the system they live in, and he sees it. So that's kind of the first thing I would say to you as a challenge. When we're trying to understand why Jesus did this and we understand that he noticed the problem and had compassion... That's my first question to you is, do you see the people around you and the needs they have? Because I think so often, and I speak for myself as much as anything, when I'm looking at the world around me, often I'm actually looking at me and how all the problems around me affect me. I'm not really worried about the problems other people have, if I'm not careful. Our natural tendency is to look out for ourselves. And so, I think that's one thing that we can glean from this passage is, do you see the people around you and the needs they have? Jesus was very aware of it. He saw the sick people. He saw the hurting people. He saw the harassed people. And then the second thing is, he had compassion on them. And so, if you see needs around you, do you have compassion like Jesus had? But understanding why did Jesus heal all these people. Why did he help them? Because compassion is his nature. It's who he is. He is full of compassion and love. Uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. God introduces himself to his people and he's speaking to Moses in this verse. This is one of those classic descriptions in the Old Testament of who God is. In fact, this passage, this verse is quoted and repeated throughout the Old Testament. And then fulfilled in Jesus. How does God describe himself? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And he goes on to say how he's also a righteous judge. But the very first thing he wants us to see Is that he is the Lord, a God full of mercy or compassion, full of love for his people. Merciful and gracious, compassionate and gracious. That's who Jesus is. He can't help himself. He is full of compassion for the hurting. If you think about it, he says, I've come to save those who are hurting. It is who he is. It's what he's come to do. He's motivated by his own nature. He is the good shepherd. You know, uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, this is one of those key themes in the Gospel of John, is that John introduces Jesus as the good shepherd. Look at this verse. John 10, verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus sees these people, any human who's harassed and helpless, And he says, I want to be your shepherd. I want to give you peaceful pasture. How do you find the good pasture? It says you go through the door. Jesus is the door. How can you be saved? It's only through Jesus. There's only one door into the good pasture. Enter through that door. Um, Yesterday... I was actually doing some work out in a pasture in, in my yard and uh, I was driving in and out of this field and uh, this, we have this one miniature pony that lives in the field. His name's Charlie, Charlie Horse, okay? So Charlie lives in this pen and he's eaten all the grass down. Well, right outside his pen is this huge pasture full of lush green grass. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence, literally. But there's no fence around that pasture so we can't let him out. Well, I left the gate open. So what do you think Charlie did? He went through the gate to get to the green pasture. Now, he was doing the wrong thing. But what Jesus tells us is, I want you to come through the door. I'll give you more and greener pasture than you could have with anything else you're pursuing. He is the good shepherd. Do you know the good shepherd? Here's another verse. This is not 10-9, it's a little later in the chapter, uh, so that's a misprint. But he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So how does he invite us into this pasture? How does he open the door? It's by paying the penalty that only he could pay. Only he could pay the penalty for sin. Only he could be the, the good shepherd and open up that door and say, anyone who trusts in me can enter in to my rest. You know, the world, as Jesus says, is full of lost sheep. And the shepherd came to save them. So my question to you this morning is, do you know the shepherd? This is why he came. Because he loves you and has compassion on you. He says, I want to offer you salvation. I want to offer you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. All you have to do is trust in me alone. Do you know that shepherd? Because see, as Jesus says, these sheep were wandering without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. But here's the funny thing that you learn about livestock is that sometimes livestock are wandering and they don't even know they're wandering. They think they're doing what they're supposed to do, but they're wandering and getting lost even worse. And so you might be here this morning as a lost sheep and not even know that you're wandering. And I would tell you this. If you have not trusted Jesus, asked Jesus to save you, then that puts you in that category of a wandering sheep. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I have laid down my life for you. Do you know him? If you don't, tell him today. Trust him today. That brings us to the third point of this message though. And it's in those last two verses. Not only just to see what Jesus did and to understand why he did it, because of his nature, uh, but to embrace your part in his plan. So these two verses, verses 37 and 38, say this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I think what Jesus is calling us to do here is to say, is to recognize that we have a part to play in this. And not just to say, okay, I'll, I'll get to it later. But no, he's saying embrace your part in this plan. Embrace your role in this harvest. And I think as you look at this picture that he gives us, this idea of a harvest, you don't have to have grown up on a farm to understand this metaphor. We can all understand it. I think the question is, do you see what Jesus sees? Remember, he saw those crowds. But here in this verse, he says, there's a harvest of people who are just waiting to be introduced to the one good shepherd who can give them peace, green pastures and still waters. It's a metaphor for eternal life with him. Satisfaction in him alone. Do you see what he sees? Because I think when Jesus, here's a picture. When when Jesus looks at the world, he sees a world that is ripe for harvest, just ready to be picked, ready, ready to be gathered in. A whole world of people who are wandering like sheep without a shepherd. But he also sees, here's another picture. He sees what's a labor shortage. And if you've ever seen a field uh, that didn't get harvested on time, so this is a picture of a tomato field uh, where the the crops rotted on the vine. Okay, There was no one to go out and gather them. We all understand this idea of labor shortage these days, right? How many of you in the last year have gone to the grocery store and the shelf you went to look at was empty? There, wasn't, there was something there you didn't want, or that was not there that you did want. You know what I mean. Um, the, the point is, there's a labor shortage right now. Some of it's on the farms. They don't have laborers to go out and harvest in the stuff. Some of it's in the packing plants. They don't have workers uh, to, to process it to get it to the grocery store. But the bottom line is this. If there's no laborers, the harvest can't be completed. No workers means no harvest. So do you see what Jesus sees? He sees a world full of people who are waiting to be gathered in, waiting to meet their shepherd. That's the first step. Do you see that the harvest is ready? That's what he wants us to see. But then the second thing is, do you want what Jesus wants? Jesus says, my desire is that we gather in this harvest, that there's no soul left behind, that we gather it all in, that there are many, many workers uh, to do all this. The number one priority is to gather in the harvest. You know, that's why Jesus came. That's exactly why he came. A little earlier in the chapter, uh, back in verse 13, in one of those discipleship speeches that Jesus gives. Look at the end of verse 13. Jesus says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, he says, the reason I'm here is to reach out to people who are lost and introduce them to myself so they can trust me and be saved for all eternity. Introducing people to Jesus, helping them to follow Jesus, is what it means to bring in the harvest. And that's why Jesus came. That brings us to the last question here, is will you do what Jesus asks you to do in this passage? Will you do what He asks you to do? Because you might see the need and you might even feel in your heart that I want what He wants, I want people to be saved. But Jesus says, you play a part in this harvest. You play a part in bringing in these lost souls. What does he say here? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. So the number one thing that Jesus asks us to do... Isn't this interesting? He doesn't start with saying, develop a strategy and go out and and tell everybody. He says, before you do any of that, this has always struck me. If if there's a shortage of workers, you would think Jesus would say, uh, the laborers are few. Therefore, get out there and do your job. Well, he does say that. But first, he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest depend on him. In fact, he says prayer is the number one tool. If you're going to go out and bring in the harvest, you begin with prayer. You know, uh, my brothers out there with their harvest of corn and soybeans, they could go out and try to harvest all those thousands of acres with like a scissors and a, and a wheelbarrow, couldn't they? They could try, but that's not the right tool for the job. In fact, they wouldn't get the job done if they did it with the wrong tool. I think that's what we do sometimes we try to do this whole task of reaching the world and we ignore the most important tool And god says that is prayer We need to depend on him ask him for help pray for people by name And ask god to bring in the harvest ask god to raise up workers to go out into the harvest uh, there's a quote, uh, from a, an evangelist, R.A. Torrey. Some of you may have heard his name. He's not a really well-known evangelist. He was the president of Moody Bible Institute around the turn of the, of the 20th century. He preached at Moody Church and, and then I think helped found Biola College in California. A gifted evangelist who shared the gospel with thousands and thousands of people in the U.S., Great Britain, and around the world. And God used him, but what did he say? He says, the most important human factor in effective evangelism is prayer. Every great awakening in the history of the church from the time of the apostles until today has been the result of prayer. There have been great awakenings without much preaching. And there have been great awakenings with absolutely no organization. But there has never been a true awakening without much prayer. You know, if we know, brothers and sisters, that this is how God has worked in the past, and this is the way that Jesus tells us to do the job, why would we think we can do it without prayer? I would ask us, again, as individuals and as a church to commit yourselves to praying for the lost, not just here in Covington, but around the world. Uh, last week, we talked about the handbook to prayer as a tool just to keep our hearts and minds invested in prayer. And some of those prayers in that book actually um, uh, point us to praying for the lost, praying for people who don't know Jesus yet. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will raise up laborers. So that's the first thing is to pray. But then also, I think the second thing that Jesus is asking us to do, and are, are you willing to do what he asks you to do, is to go out and work, labor. What does he say? Raise up laborers for the harvest. In other words, it does require work and effort to share the gospel. First of all, pray that God raises up these people. But here's the thing. You have to realize that you, as a faithful follower of Christ, are part of the answer to your own prayer. Because Jesus says that if you know me and if you follow me, then I want you to go out and be my witness, be my uh, disciple, and make other disciples. This is too good of a message to keep to yourself. So he's calling you to work and to do uh, whatever it is that you need to do to make that happen. Second Corinthians 5 verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, the life of a harvester, the life of a person who's going out and sharing this is a life of sacrifice. Laboring in the harvest requires sacrifice. And so you might say, well, who are the laborers and what are they supposed to do? Isn't, Isn't that talking about God raising up pastors and missionaries and evangelists? Isn't that what he's talking about? Yes, that is what he's talking about. But not just that you see, God can raise you up to be a laborer in this harvest field as a school teacher, as a real estate agent, as an electrician, a welder, a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, fill in the blank. Whatever it is you do, you're working in God's harvest field. And pray that God raises up laborers in every single one of those places so that we can share the gospel with people who need it. Do you see what Jesus sees? Do you see that need that's out there? Do you want what he wants? Do you have that compassion for people who are perishing apart from Jesus? And then will you do what he asks you to do? Pray for those who are lost and then become part of the answer to that prayer. Be one of the laborers who goes out and shares this gospel. See, he's calling you to go out and gather in the harvest, to reap the harvest you know there's one wheat harvest uh, that I'll never forget as a as a young person and so uh, back in June of 2004 it was actually June 15th 2004 about mid-June is the time in Kansas every year where we would fire up the combines and and get out there and cut the wheat well this year 2004 was a little bit different cuz on that day middle of June uh, that's the day that my dad passed away after a long a uh, battle with cancer or about a year-long battle with cancer um, And so he died and we were about to start this wheat harvest and so um, Here's this farmer his whole life who has made it his business to harvest When he passed away me and my brothers stepped in and we said we're going to carry on that harvest But the most beautiful thing was on that very day. I remember he he died during the night and I was on my way back uh, from Chicago that day uh, where I had been. When we got home later that evening, a bunch of other folks showed up. So you had Jim brought his truck. Harold brought his combine. A couple other guys brought their combines. Dwight brought his grain cart. Everyone pitched in to help gather in the harvest. You know, we all worked together to carry on the work that was left to us. And it was a beautiful picture of those fields being ripe to harvest and people stepping in and working together and doing the job that needed to be done. You know, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Still remember that day when we combined that field with those combines. We were actually in the field called the Back 40 on the Lantis place. So God may call you to labor as a farmer on the Back 40. He may call you to Highway 40. That's where I live, out right off Highway 40. May have nothing to do with the number 40. But whatever He calls you to do, will you join with Him? By praying and being a laborer in this harvest. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we cry out to you, the Lord of the harvest, to raise up laborers to send out into the harvest, God. I pray that you would use me, that you would use every single person here this morning, anyone who's watching online, God, anyone connected to Trinity Church. Use us as your laborers, God. Help us to sacrifice what we need to sacrifice. Uh, And, Lord, just to find great joy as we go out and gather in the harvest. Lord, we pray that that's what would happen, that we would see many, many souls coming to know you for all eternity. God, we ask you for that, and we lift this up in your son's name, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Now go and make disciples.